The legends are true. But overwhelming power! The sauce of destiny. Yes! The most legendary sauce has arrived as McDonald's transforms into the anime world of Wickdonald's. The greatest flavors unite in all new savory chili McDonald's sauce to make your 10-piece Nuggets, fries, and Sprite ultra-powerful. Unlock manga comics with every meal and sit down for a new anime short every week only at Wickdonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba, go! And participate in McDonald's for a limited time while supplies last. This is Make It Kind. It's Thursday, folks. Once again, we welcome back on this Thursday for Thursday Coast. The person for whom this segment is named after. He is the founder and publisher of the largest online progressive community, dailycoast.com, the founder of Civics with a Q, the innovative and very accurate large sample size polling firm, and also the host of The Brief, one of the most popular podcasts, the most popular podcast out here <laughs> <Nope>. right now. <laughs> <laughs> Not, but it's actually... Make- it's actually climbing up the 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 ranks. So so uh, um, it's probably top five percent podcast at this point. So Great. it's getting That's there. Good. That's what I'm saying. Check it out. It's, the brief. How are you, Marcos? Doing good. I'm gonna I'm gonna hijack right here just quickly because okay. uh, you know talking about the brief. The last couple of weeks we've been sort of featuring battleground states, 2022 battleground states, and on the ground activist organizations doing work in those states. And I just want to do a sort of general broad pitch to your audience to uh, invest early in activist organizations that are doing organizing either in battleground states, Michigan, Pennsylvania, Arizona, Georgia, so on, or even in your own backyard. And that might even be the better solution. Who is doing great work organizing in your backyard and fund those organizations, even if it's five bucks a month and make it a recurring donation, best bang for the buck. Because Mark, what happens, we've seen it the last few cycles, ActBlue sort of, um, we can see when the money flows in because of ActBlue, everybody comes in with like two months left in an election, right? Because tension's high, you know, everybody's worried. People get excited about this candidate or that candidate. And so the money just sort of flows in. And at that point, that money's just being pissed away on television ads that don't create a single new vote, that don't get anybody registered, that don't motivate or change anybody's mind, that doesn't build infrastructure. We're talking millions of dollars that if you put into these grassroots organizations, uh, not just not just um, registering people to vote and turning them out to vote, but also mobilizing them on behalf of progressive legislation. So we talked to somebody uh, a group, uh, We the People Michigan, two weeks ago. When campaign seasons are on, obviously they're, they're getting people registered. Uh, election time, they're getting people to turn out and vote. But right now what they're doing, they're focused on municipal elections that impact people in their own backyards. And they're focused on things like Flint water crisis. Mm. Uh, just uh, this past Tuesday, we talked to um, a group in North Carolina, uh, the Black Alliance, North Carolina Black Alliance. Right now, in addition to the electoral and redistricting work that they're doing, 
they're also working for uh, communities of color in Appalachia that are being um, damaged with environmental disasters, right? I mean, um, so these are groups that are doing good work on the ground, also focused on getting more people engaged politically. It is the best bang for the buck politically um, that you can spend if you're going to donate to you know to right, political right. process. That's where the money needs to go, not to yeah. campaigns. The last minute, the consultants suck up that money. They get rich. They run ads that nobody cares about. Nobody pays attention. Um, do like if you're going to spend that money, spend it on building infrastructure. So that's just my big plea and my um, my taking over your show is now finished. <laughs> no, you, you, you're welcome. You, you're welcome to do that anytime. But but I, I already can hear some of the reactions to some in my audience, because this is a conversation. We touched on this before. Why, Marcos, should we do that when the Democrats can't get anything through that we need them to? Including, yeah, most, including most recently, uh, the, the latest news. Even though it was a bit of disinformation, it was some confusion. Dollars, well, the Biden administration pulling back dollars for HBCUs. The Biden administration's spin is that they're not doing it. It's the congressional budget negotiations. But even that, that stuff is, that doesn't help Haitians, HBCUs. Those are just two most recent stories. What do we say to people? I mean, we understand we can't have Republicans take over the House and Senate, but morale is low. Yeah. I mean, this is not a pitch to donate to the Democratic Party or to any Democrats. This is a pitch to donate to the grassroots organizations that are building power in communities that haven't had a voice and therefore have not been represented in the halls of power. Right. I mean, there's a big difference. You know, see what Stacey Abrams came in. She built with her infrastructure building in Georgia wasn't building wasn't it wasn't specifically about elections. It was about organizing on the ground and there is an electoral component. And suddenly we went from two Republican senators in Georgia to literally overnight having two Democratic senators, including Raphael Warnock. And that sort of that's that. I mean, having a Warnock in the Senate means something. Now we're stuck with Manchin and Cinema right now in the perfect world. We're going to win next year's elections. We're going to have a mentioned cinema proof majority. We'll get rid of the filibuster. Lots of good things can happen because right now it's not a democratic party problem. It's a two people in a Senate that is unrepresentative and gives Republicans in rural states too much power, uh, disproportionate power. That's the the bigger um, problem. And, And frankly, Biden doesn't have any leverage on cinema and, and mansion. Yeah. I mean, they're just not two states where, where Biden is particularly popular right now. Cinema is actually just irrational. I mean, I don't, I don't think anything that she's done has a logical plan behind it. It's it's kind of odd. But Manchin is in a 40-point Trump state. I mean, this is this is tough. What we need is we need more Democrats. But this is the that's not the argument I've been making, right? The argument yeah. I'm making is is North Carolina Black Alliance is building power in the black and brown community in North Carolina. They're about 30% of the of the state, dramatically un, underrepresented in in government, uh, elected officials, in uh, in uh, state agencies, and funding, just all across the board. But there are several black women running for that Senate seat next year. That matters in the same way that it mattered that uh, that Raphael Warnock ran in Georgia, that Stacey Abrams ran, and I'm I'm 
so confident that Stacey Abrams is going to be the next governor of, of, um, of Georgia. This is how you build power. You, you, you activate communities that are not used to being engaged because nobody talks to them except two weeks before the election. And so they're saying, yeah, you know, we can't depend on these Democrats to actually be here. I mean, what we're going to do is we're going to build our own power and then Democrats will have no choice but to have to listen to us. More MIP after this message. Hey there, I'm Nadia Komodo. Check out my show, Tigress, which is basically my unfiltered and unapologetic journey of being a work in progress. Like, I hope that I am authentic and I try to be as unfiltered as I possibly can. I am so passionate about what I do, from talking about periods to wanting to build community around the cause to loving the business that I'm working on. Tune in each week on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever podcasts are streamed. Folk, and what Marcos is saying is important because he's absolutely right. Um, it, it isn't significant enough to just react in an election cycle. There are organizations, good point, Stacey Abrams, other organizations you all know we've worked with before, Black Voters Matter and others. They do work mobilizing communities year round. Uh, even some of our civil rights organizations, the National Coalition on Black Civic Participation, NCBCP, they do things to help build grassroots National Council of Negro Women, National Congress of Black Women. They, they're they helping to get women candidates, even the NAACP. So, so Marcos is right. And there's just a few. There are others you know of, especially think about those in your state, those that have operations in your state. Because, again, we don't focus enough on building local and state power either. Uh, and that's where... Um, election reform decisions are made on a state level because there's nothing uniform and federal, federally universal. That's where law enforcement accountability decisions are made at the state and local level. Marcos is right. So we, you can, you can do that even while we wait to get some of this other stuff done. Um, and, and speaking of that other stuff, um, and I know you talked about North Carolina on the brief this week. So is, We've talked about several pathways. Um, I'm even starting to hear from a, a few other folk. They're not going to say it publicly, but they say it to me in the corridors of power on the Hill, talking like Obama and them were talking in 2010. Well, we, you know, we always lose the house. We might as well just accept we're going to lose the house, which doesn't help either. But if that were to happen, do you see a possibility and us still being able to do something if we can win the Senate, even though we might lose the House, that we can no. still get some things done. No, no, no. The, the House is is whoever has the majority controls it through and through. And so legislation stops. So losing either chamber of Congress immediately kills the Biden legislative agenda. He can still do stuff uh, administratively. There's still a lot of, of leeway there, but any sort of deep structural lasting changes that that's out the door. So we have to keep control and it's going to be tough. And we're dealing with, with redistricting the early, the early uh, maps don't look as disastrous for Democrats as we all feared, as we knew, or as we saw after the, the census, the rural rural America has been just absolutely decimated. They lost so much population. Uh, all the growth happened in the suburbs and in the cities. So it's made it a lot harder for Republicans to gerrymander 
uh, aggressively. So for example, in Texas, the fear was that they would you know, squeeze out a few extra seats. The early maps that are coming out of Texas look like they're just locking in the, the map that they have now. It's still a heavy ger gerrymander, but they're not gaining from, and, and there's two new seats in Texas and the new maps basically would be half and half, one Democratic, one Republican. So that's a bit of a best case scenario in a lot of these states. So okay. that's, um, so we, um, you know, we, we, Yarmouth who represents, uh, I think Knoxville area, Tennessee, he just assigned his retirement, no, not Tennessee, Kentucky. It looks like he's going to be redistricted out of his seat. Um, so there, there is, uh, it's Louisville too. We are going to lose maybe five to 10 seats out of redistricting, you know, roughly, but it could have been a lot worse. And so now at this point, it, the question is, do we hold the suburbs? Do our people come out and vote? Um, do we stay engaged? Do they get the Trump vote out or not? There's a lot of questions heading into next year, but I don't think it's a done deal that they take control of the House. And this is different than, than when we were talking in 2009, Marcus. In 2009, we were like, already, I was like, we're, we're in trouble. Like, we're going to get our asses whooped next year. Right now, um, I don't have that yet. In fact, if you look at the early special elections, which kind of give you a hint of who's active and who's not, everything appears pretty status quo. So we may have one of these, these elections where everything is, is, we have a lot of, it's just closely divided Senate, closely divided House. Maybe we swing one or a couple, you know, a couple of seats one way or the other. Now, everything's so close that if it swings the other way, we lose control of both chambers or it could swing slightly in our direction and we have a mansion cinema proof majority and everything changes. But right now it looks pretty tight. I'm not seeing a wave election at the moment. The warning sign is that Biden's numbers are cratering. Biden is, for whatever reason, in action in the Senate. I think Manchin and Cinema are really, really hurting Biden right now. I think that's a big part of it. I think the lack of progress on the pandemic is starting to weigh down Biden. We're, we're stuck because the anti-vaxxers refuse to vaccinate. And that means that we have to maintain certain restrictions and people are getting tired of those restrictions for for good reason, and they're taking it out on Biden. So there are several big warning signs. And so Biden's support amongst independents is totally, totally, um, it's totally cratered. I mean, in our civics polling, he had a slight, you know, it was like 48, 46 approval. He's down to 39% approval in our polling. So it's real. And that may weigh down next year. On the other hand, Donald Trump is really making himself visible. And so he, you know, we may have Trump to run against next year and that would motivate our base, maybe perhaps to turn out. We're in uncharted territory right now. So what that means is that in a normal year, we might say, yeah, we're gonna lose. This just is hmm. what it is. Okay. The average first term president loses 30 seats in his first midterm election in the house. That's the average, 30 seats. So said we expect a wave election hurting the incumbent president. It just is what it is. The one exception was right after 9-11. So is this because of COVID? Is this a 9-11 type of situation? Or is this a typical year? I don't know. We, we, but, we like to think that by November of next year, we'd be beyond COVID, I would think. God, I hope so. 
I mean, we still ain't beyond COVID, then ain't nothing going to matter. <laughs> None of this is going to matter. You know, we're still dealing with this. If we're beyond COVID, I think obviously that helps Biden. If not, right now, I think there's a malaise because of the lack of progress on vaccination. Yeah. More MIP after this message. And and he's not. I mean, people went from a, a daily dumpster fire that the media could promote to a president who I think said at one time he he a good president is not somebody you see on TV every day. You know, so there's not a lot of 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 excitement there. Uh, interesting. You mentioned malaise. Uh, that was Jimmy Carter's downfall. Yeah. Uh, um, for the wrong reasons. Now, what we are seeing in the polling is that opposition to Trump was a lot uh, deeper. Like right now, like, you know, people who didn't like Trump really didn't like Trump. <laughs> right now, people who are not liking Biden, if you look at like strongly disapprove, slightly disapprove, people are sliding into that slightly disapprove. I think that gives yeah. us room gives him room to to bounce back, or at least if they're in a slightly disapproved, maybe they're just not even motivated to vote, right? They'll just stay home. But I wonder, I wonder if you asked the question another way, people who slightly disapproved, you said, um, do you disapprove of Biden enough, and you can't ask this, but do you disapprove of Biden enough that you would want to see Trump return? I think everybody would be like, hell to the no. I mean, if that was a measurable <laughs> thing, people probably think they have the room to criticize Biden, but if Trump gets back in, I would say that in some polling that I have seen, Trump is very competitive in a 2024 matchup. His supporters have not gone anywhere. Biden's haven't either, but it is, there's nothing in our current situation that has changed the overall dynamics. Trump would do very well in 2024. He could very well win. Now, there are some of these states that are killing off their own supporters, right? Because the unvaccinated right now, it's basically, it's, it's mostly predominantly Trump supporters. They're dying off just generically. I mean, we saw in the last census data that white Americans are losing 1% of the population a year over the last 10 years. I don't know if that trend will continue, but there are 10% fewer uh, white-only Americans in 2020 than there were in 2010. That's their strongest base. So they are literally dying off, whether it's because of old age, because they're older, whether it's because of COVID, or whether it's about opioids. I mean, the opioid crisis is, is definitely hitting rural America. It's another reason they've emptied out so much. Meanwhile, the suburbs, you know, sort of seem to be trending our direction. And if you look at the growth in population, it, it's... Asians are the fastest growing uh, than Latinos and then the black community. And uh, they're younger. That growth comes in, in youth and youth is less likely to vote no matter what, where they come from. Young people are less likely to vote. So that's a big challenge is to get these people to vote. But the trends may be going on a direction. So it might be slightly harder for Trump to win in, uh, in 2024. But I do not, I don't want anybody to think that Trump isn't a threat to win another term because mm. he absolutely is. Okay, so, and, and that's 2024, I'm clear. But the other direction I wanted to go with you today, and, I, and I'm not discounting that, you and I have talked about 
the Trump voter and there's still the riddle of whether or not that Trump voter comes out as enthusiastically when he is not on the ballot. So here's the question, because there's been some debate about this. 2022, does he directly involve himself in the midterms early? Does he he make him? But I mean, but 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 the question is, is that intelligent even for him to do? Because then if Democrats are running to keep the House and take and hold the Senate against him, if they make him the factor, that ultimately helps us, doesn't it? Uh, now, and it seems to me an intelligent person like, well, he's not intelligent, but anybody around him who's intelligent, I don't know if anybody left, would say, hey, hey, hold up, just chill for a minute and let this, to use your term, malaise or apathy or their own um, mansion cinnamon, uh, no, it's, what's, what's the, the, the uh, cinnamansion gridlock be their own undoing? I actually think the smart play is for him to, to lay low. And even when he was president, it was it was very clearly documented that when he shut up, even for a couple of weeks, his numbers would improve. It's when he opened his trap that that everything went south. Now, yeah. of course, he's incapable of, do, you know, he's, he's going to do what he wants to do. There's no intelligence behind it. He's 100 percent lizard brain. So he's going to be a factor. Um, we do know that Trump supporters did not turn out in the two uh, non-presidential elections while he was in office, right? They didn't turn out in 2017. They did not turn out in 2018 or 2019, the three years. They did not turn out. Trump begged people to vote in Louisiana and Kentucky, and Democrats won the governorships in two of the reddest states in the country. So we know that while he's been president since he was president if he was not on the ballot his supporters did not turn out and vote does that mean they won't turn out next year i mean we hope so so if we can run against trump our people are motivated his people are happy posting stupid memes on on facebook and and that's the end of it yeah i mean then we have a good chance of of expanding our majorities i would not count on that though we can't right we just got to assume the worst we got, right, we got to right. fight like all of them are going to turn out. And we got to get everybody yeah, right. that voted last year to turn out. And that gets harder and harder if uh, our people are frustrated because, you know, Cinemansion or Man Cinema, if they're they're obstructing the Democratic agenda and, and people look to D.C. and they say Democrats have majorities and yet everything's gridlocked and nothing's happening. Why did we bother? That's the real danger. That's what happened in 2010. And that's why we lost about 60 seats in the House in Obama's first midterm. And that was the end of, of basically Obama's legislative agenda for the next six years. Yeah. Well, well. That's the danger. Um, we- but now you mentioned a smart play. Do Republicans who are not crazy, well, most of them are, but those who think they may have a shot, Republicans who really want to get reelected probably don't want him involved to campaign for them right depends on on if it's a competitive state probably i mean arizona and georgia are two you know we have two competitive senate seats uh trump lost them both in fact trump's involvement in the runoff election in georgia actually boosted democratic turnout republican turnout actually dropped on the other hand we have an open seat north carolina that trump won by one and a half points, not a lot, but Trump won it. We have open seats in uh, in uh, Ohio, which Trump won by eight. 
Uh, Iowa's not open yet. I don't know if Chuck Grassley's running. He's like 90. Um, another tough seat. Florida. Trump won Florida by three and a half points. I mean, these are states where Trump's involvement might actually work if his people turn out. If his people turn out. Again, they did not turn out in 2017, 18, or 19. Uh, even though he literally said, they're gonna, they're gonna make me, you're making me look bad if you don't turn out. And his supporters would just they want to vote because they're nihilist, Mark. They're not, they're not, they don't, they don't, they want somebody who's gonna burn down everything. So if the candidate like Ron, you know, DeSantis right now, uh, Greg Abbott, they're trying to burn everything down. They've decided right. that that's the way to win that that Trump type vote is to is to have as many people die of COVID as possible, just just be as obnoxious as, and and dismissive of norms and traditions. That's what they're into. They're not going to vote for Mitch McConnell. I mean, they they don't care about Mitch McConnell. Mitch McConnell for. As horrible as he is, he's not trying to burn down government. He's just trying to buy it to his own benefit, right? And the benefit of his of his corporate donors. So um, the kind of people that they'll turn out for are like Marjorie Taylor Greene, right? And, and Babbitt, uh, what's her face in um, in Colorado, whose name suddenly forgets me. It's a nihilist caucus. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yeah. So yeah. will it... I mean, Herschel Walker is probably a really good one because, I mean, the guy's yeah, just yeah. so fundamentally idiotic that he's just going to burn stuff down because God, you know, he's just not capable of. Yeah, Her Herschel, Herschel Walker helps us. Who's who's Kelly's opponent going to be in Arizona? I don't think we know yet. Okay. Pretty sure. I think I got my notes right over there on, on Arizona. Right. But I don't, as, as of right now, um, we don't know. It'll be a tough state. I mean, it's Arizona. It's tight. And, and Val and and Val's race against Marco and Floyd, like you said, that that's that's unpredictable. Totally. I mean, Val Demings was the best fundraiser for the quarter. She raised eight and a half million dollars. Rubio had like the fourth largest fundraising quarter at around six million, and he's got a bunch of money in the bank. They're going to raise. Both sides are going to raise ungodly amounts of money. Demings is is a superstar, right? We know that she's going to raise all the money she needs. But then it's Florida. It is freaking Florida. Every race is is um, is tight. You have uh, Rick Scott, you know, who's beat then uh, uh, Bill Nelson in the Senate race um, last cycle. He beat him by thirty. No, it was twelve thousand votes. We lost the governor's race by thirty thousand votes. DeSantis literally won by a third of a percent. Florida has a habit of breaking our hearts, but it's it's so close. It's it's right there. So it's definitely definitely possible. This is one of those places where investing in the organizations on the ground doing organizing today can pay huge dividends in not just those those federal races and statewide races like the government. I mean, DeSantis thinks he's running for president in 2024. What happens if he loses next year? And DeSantis yeah. is dangerous. I'm going to tell you right now, DeSantis is actually credible candidate to to defeat Biden if he's the nominee. Mm. He he's getting that that passionate Trump vote in a way that nobody else is right now. Abbott's making a play for it, but DeSantis right now is the heir apparent if Trump does not run. So um, yeah, defeating him next year could help us in 2024. It definitely helps us at the state level. And it helps us with, you know, if Biden wins 20, you know, Florida by a few thousand votes. Because 
also keep in mind about 2,000 people are dying a day in Florida right now. Um, sorry, a week. About 2,000 are dying every week. Mostly Trump supporters. It's 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 rural rural Republicans. And so, um, given how close Florida elections have been, there's a real possibility that 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 Democrats can win narrowly by the margin of the COVID death toll. So that's why it's so weird well, to me that they're not. How do you? How are you aware of that? And they aren't and aren't concerned about it. I'm, that's that's amazing. Because I because. One, it, they think there's more benefit to being anti-vaccine, anti-mandate, anti-mask in a 2024 presidential primary. They are willing to kill off their own home state supporters for 2024 benefit. I see. I see. That is some sick, sick calculations. And maybe in Texas, it makes more sense because, you know, Texas Republican, you're thinking, eh, you know, we got we got a cushion. We're still good. Biden lost by five and a half points. We got we got some room to to lose some people strategically. Florida's like right on the edge. It's always on the edge. Nobody wins Florida by a lot. So, in other words, what you're saying, 2024 is like 2008 for the Dems. It boiled down to who voted against the war. 2024 for the Republicans is going to boil down to who was against masks. Yeah, and, masks. and the and, and the buzzword being freedom. Who was for freedom? So all the all the credible ones, they, they're one upping themselves in trying. I mean, you, you had Abbott in Texas, who at one point said that there would be no government mandate for vaccines, but businesses could do what they wanted. And then it's crazy to nuts. And so he's like, oh, OK, never. Nobody can. I mean, these are the people like businesses shouldn't be told what to do. But now they're telling businesses that they can't have vaccine mandates. Of course, everybody ignored him. Obviously, we talk in a very partisan manner, but sometimes, you know, maybe we should just do a show on the state of humankind in general, because this is crazy. Well, you're kind of doing that with the Anti-Vax Chronicles, frankly. And and that, you all should check that out on, on at Daily Coast, the Anti-Vax Chronicles, Marcos, uh, and I don't know how he does it, because I, I can't deal. But, I mean, he goes does a deep dive into, you know, what the anti-vaxxers are saying and doing. Oh my God. It, it's, it's, it's crazy. Yeah. I mean, it's, there's this pattern, right? Where they, they just on Facebook, they're spewing all their anti-vax, anti-mask memes. And they love to talk, call liberal sheep because, oh, the sheep, yeah, you know, yeah, with their, yeah. with their vaccines. And then, of course, they get they get COVID, and suddenly they're like, "Oh, well, this is no joke." I mean, it's almost a, a joke. How often is COVID? Is no joke. It's like well, nobody said it was a joke. <laughs> you, you're the ones who said it was a joke. And then they're like, they're doing ivermectin and, and horse pace and all that crap, and none of that works. And then they're on a bench. And then and then every once in a while, one of them, you know, writes or or the family member writes like, "We should have gotten vaccinated. Everybody, please get vaccinated." But most of the time, they dig down. Because the the admitting that they were wrong would mean admitting that they killed their loved ones or themselves. And that's that, you know, people don't like to be wrong in general. And can you imagine having to live with like, okay, because because I got sucked into this world of disinformation, my my wife died or my child died. And there's a, there's a big component of schadenfreude. There's just no doubt that like, you know, oh, you called us sheep, you know, but you're the one that's just been led to slaughter. 
But to me, it's I want to I, I try to like avoid that as much as possible because it's not really productive. So part of, of the series is sort of debunking their their memes and their arguments and, and even exploring where they came from. Sometimes that's that's helpful. Like, why would they say that the flu kills 200,000 people a year? Like, where did they get that? Like, nonsense. And so I'll dig in and I'll, oh, my God, it came out of here or it was Sean Hannity or. But the other pieces is, is that. The, the selfishness is so deeply ingrained and conservative. So it's about my personal responsibility. And then unironically, you see like my body, my choice, unironically. But here's the thing, when they're sick, they affect their family members, they affect their communities, they affect the hospitals. Even if they survive, they end up with long-term health issues. Either if they survive or not, they're dealing with tens, if not hundreds of thousands of dollars in medical debt. So they all have medical bankruptcies sitting there right in the horizon. This isn't, I'm sick for a few days and it's not, I died, oh well, who cares? Like if it was some random person in a, in a deserted island and they die of COVID, nobody cares, right? Because <laughs> doesn't it, there's no connection. We are a society, we are connected. And yeah, you may think like, you know, I'm gonna die and it's and there's big, big evangelical component to the anti-vaxxers, right? It's like, Jesus will call me home when I'm ready to be called home and I have no say. Obvious arguments that, well, Jesus maybe sent you a vaccine <laughs> so, you, so you wouldn't come home before your time. But um, the, the piece that is it's shockingly missing is the effect they have. And I can't tell you how many orphans are, are in these stories. How many kids are, you know, lose either a, a, a mom, a dad, or both. You know, you see entire families wiped out and suddenly it's like there are five surviving school-aged children. And I can't, of course, they don't have life insurance. You know, very few of them have even health insurance. So I think I'm going to protect my family and I'm going to, that's my job. It, my number one job in life is to protect my children. Aside from vaccinating and masking to, so I don't get sick, aside from that, I have life insurance. If something happens to me, I know they're provided. They can, they can afford to to keep the house and go to college. And uh, I have health insurance, so I'm not passing on, passing on medical bills if something happens to me. These people don't think. The, the obituaries are always like, he always was there for his family. He clearly was not. So if nothing else, I would love for people to realize, and, and maybe it might even be the better argument to these people. It's not about, you know, don't die early by COVID and then go, oh, COVID. It's if something happens to you, what happens to your family? Yeah. And yeah. so those stories to me are, are incredibly powerful and the market just gut-wrenching. I, I don't care if those kids are all, you know, conservative. I don't care if, I don't let, nobody should be without their parents. It's a tragedy anytime that happens. And it happens, of course, life is life and nothing's, but it's it's going to happen anyway on its own. But to you do so in a way that's preventable. Right, right. That's the part. Yeah, why help it? Why help it? Yeah, why give COVID the assist? You know, frankly, um, Dr. King used to talk a lot about spiritual death versus physical death. And how there are decisions you make in life, like when to be silent on the things that matter. Um he would say then you you're dying you already died a spiritual death and your physical death is just a belated announcement 
So if people are deciding not to do this and endangering their health long term, even if they don't die, but endangering their health and, and the financial well-being of their families. I mean, there, there's a, I mean, there's there's an argument to be made when we talk about quality of life un, under normal circumstances. It's this Saturday will be the will be my mother's birthday, 11 years since she passed. And we had to make a decision as a family. It's the most difficult decision I've ever made and ever will make. Was to keep my mother on life support. Understanding the quality of life she would never have again. You know what I'm saying? So, mm -hmm. so. And it was a lot in the family, it was a lot of back and forth. And there were people in the family made the argument that 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 my, my mother's passing, my us disconnecting her would even be merciful. And there are times that families need to make those decisions. So people doing the COVID thing or, or being anti-COVID and anti-mask, to your point, I hope people get this too. Sometimes death is merciful. But let's say you end up with a long-term debilitating illness that bankrupts your family. And it never stops. You got to live with that. And if somebody's sick and making you broke for another 10, 50, you and I were in our 50s. Imagine that happened to us. Man, we yeah. might be sick living off our kids for 20 more years, man. And that's not what you do to your kids. That's not what you do <laughs> yeah. to your family. And, and so it's really strange. But let me, let me ask you this before we go. And I know we're going along. Because I, as you look at this Facebook thing, there have always been conspiracy theories. There's always going to be conspiratorialists. We get that. I think you and I have talked about this before. I think we would agree that conspiracy theories took a different turn and became more popularized with the likes of Alex Jones and other right-wingers and whatnot. I have a theory, and maybe I'll just leave this to you. You can think about it, and we can talk about it next time. You can, you know, since you took over the show earlier, I'll give you a homework assignment. Uh, um, like you and I know conspiracy. Like for example, I was going to tease you about this. You you call Trump lizard brain. Well, what's this guy's name? Gary Eccles. I can think of his name. Gary No. He's been had a conspiracy theory about shapeshifters for what thirty <laughs> years. Thirty. 40. I mean, but we know about that. That's old school. That's that didn't come off of Alex Jones. Off of no, it didn't come from social media propaganda. I think that. The conspiracy theories of of now are more dangerous and more exacerbated, Marcos, by social media. You know, Gary Noel would say that. That's Gary Noel. He's just kind of <clears throat> right. It was just kind of compartmentalized. You could take it or leave it. But 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 it's as if. And you talk about Facebook in your latest piece. It's as if what's going, what Facebook is enabling, and MIT. I, I'm, I'm gonna say this to you. I haven't said it to my audience yet. I'm gonna say this to the audience. Top twelve African American websites on Facebook. MIT did a study a couple of weeks ago. Eight of those twelve are troll farms. Top twelve Christian websites on Facebook. Uh, I think ten of them, if I had the numbers right, MIT said are troll farms. So the question then becomes, like, if you're going to be a conspiracy theorist, get it from a real conspiracy theorist. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? 
you know, I, I, just, I know that sounds crazy, but get it from somebody who's been in the game. You know, they, at least we respect this dude. They've been loyal. Gary Noel been loyal to the shapeshifter thing since the seventies. You know, give him his space. But you getting it from from an electronic algorithm that's not even a real person that you can point to a whole accountable. And that's just what this seems like to me that makes it even seedier and more dangerous. Am, am I making? Am I making yeah, yeah. Sense? No, totally. It's like you can't respect somebody who isn't actually getting their information from actual humans, uh, particularly if you're America firsters and that information's coming from China and Russia and other other hostile foreign powers that are actually actively trying to to spread this information. And you're going to talk about like America first, but you're going to get your information from the KGB. Yeah. So. Right. 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 Yeah. There's there's no I mean, there's there's no honor mm. in electronic conspiracy theories. Get them from a real person. You know, who knew we'd be we'd be we'd be actually ascribing some kind of respect to Alex Jones. <laughs> well, I don't even talk. See, Alex still to me is 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 not a real one. He's he's just a straight up, you know, propagandist in many respects. Yeah. And just just a, a total nut. That's why he got he got sued. And, and I mean, he's a joke. But, you know, all these guys, these guys in the past, I'd say 10 years or less are jokes and they even make even the conspiracies that are real to me they um undermine those so now they made cons conspiracy uh, the research into conspiracies just a bad word all the way around and there are conspiracies all conspiracy is two or three folk me and marcos can get off the show right now and go and conspire against somebody we really could if we wanted to but we don't do that that's all it is yeah. so but but what they've done is make it so it's like it's a diversion from the real conspiracy. Like, it's a conspiracy to collude with Russia to be elected president. That's ridiculous. So you come up with something more shocking and awful, shock and awe, to throw everybody off the trail of the real conspiracy you should be talking about. So anyway, I, right. I hope y'all get all that. Uh, <laughs> and uh, no, I was going to mess with him. You said Lizard Brand. So Marco's been listening to some Gary No, He's been. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not Folks, saying Trump is lizard people. <laughs> but he's definitely that it's the id of his brain that controls there's no logic going on in that brain yeah yeah um folks uh dailycoast.com civicswithaq.com uh also the brief available wherever you get your podcast uh we're always glad to have him here and he's right support those uh local folks on the ground doing stuff and give you four or five dollars. And you know what else you could do? I'll add to that. I'll friendly amendment to what Marcos is saying. Um, when you feel comfortable and safe, get out and help a little bit. Or get a call sheet. Or do a textathon. Black Church Pack, which I'm involved in. They're doing weekly textathons. Okay, go to blackchurchpack.com.org. Uh, and you can find out, you know, they're doing textathons. You know, making people aware about voting rights. And, um, and, and it matters. Home. In, in North Carolina, we lost uh, earlier this year, we lost a state Supreme Court election. It was a black woman. Right. And now Republicans have control of the state Supreme Court and they can actually stop. They can support Republican gerrymanders. Those seats matter. And it, it, she lost by 400 votes. 400 votes. All you think just a All couple more people had reached a couple more people. and We could have done it. And so those are the organizations that 
it's <laughs> we're a divided country, particularly in those battleground states. That's why they're battleground states. Every vote matters. Right, right, right. And folks, don't say you don't have time. You're too busy. You got time to watch Netflix. Or don't Netflix eat. is nice. It ain't gonna save you. Do a little work. Get on five, TikTok. Five or ten dollars a month to these great organizations. Yep. Thanks, Marcos. Thank you so much. Have a great weekend. Thanks for getting woke and listening to Make It Plain. Please remember to listen, like, and wherever you get your podcasts, please give the show a five-star rating. And please do spread the word. Let's all continue to pray for each other during this pandemic and this police-demic. If all hearts and minds are clear, it has been Made Plain.